0: So what's the goal here, people? We're digitising healthcare. In the end, we're taking regular plain old healthcare and turning it digital. But it's not really the final destination, though, is it? This digital part. Because when we think about it, just being digital doesn't solve much of the big problems in healthcare alone. Sure, we could have better infrastructure and hardware and software to make things faster and more reliable and more powerful but that's the enabler isn't it for something a bit more something smarter well with me today is dr ben canter chief medical information officer at vocera which is now part of striker and in this episode we're talking about some strategies to optimize the value of digital technologies in a smart connected hospital collaboration starts with a conversation team health tech let's make it happen
1: Welcome to Talking Health Tech,
0: a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Dr. Ben Cantor, he's the Chief Medical Information Officer at Vocera, now part of Striker. In this role, Dr. Cantor works closely with clinicians and engineers to co-design the next generation of real-time communication and collaboration solutions for hospitals
1: and health systems around the globe. Hey, Ben, how are you? I am doing great, Pete. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
0: Mate, I appreciate you joining at an after hours time for your time zone to have this conversation with me now. It's, it's great to have you on the show. Tell us a bit more about you and your role at Vocera.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, I wish I was with you in Sydney uh, rather than sitting here at eight o'clock at night in San Diego. As I'm a physician, I'm a pulmonary critical care specialist and I got involved on the technology side almost 20 years ago. And for the past 15 years, have focused my efforts on critical event notifications and communications in healthcare. I've been with Vocera for about five years now, and I have sort of two major roles. One, I'm on the product team, and I sort of helped disrupt. I kind of pushed the product team into areas where they may not be so comfortable. The other role that I play is obviously supporting sales around the globe and educating regarding communications and infrastructure, et cetera.
0: A clinician doing the disrupting, that's, uh, that's, that's what we need.
1: Why, why is that important? Disrupting? Because, it, you know, so first of all, as a physician embedded in the product team, it brings the clinical voice that the engineers need, right? So you can have all the user-centered design you want, but it helps to have internal clinicians. And luckily at Vocera, we have ex-nurses, physicians, etc., And so that really helps. Our role is really to provide tools that are clinical in nature. They may be telecom, they may be devices, they may be software platforms for collaboration, but at the end of the day, these are used by clinicians in the care of patients. So they're really clinical tools. So you need to have clinical people at the back end helping to design them. Yeah.
0: We've had communication tools across healthcare for quite a while. and And like part of this conversation is talking about this Point of taking digital health care and doing something a bit more with it. Talk a bit more about, you know, where we're heading with this concept of a digital hospital and the role that communication tools play.
1: Sure. So hospitals have been replacing analog systems, paper systems, with digital for the past twenty to thirty years. And wow. certainly when I was first on this journey, we talked about the paperless hospital. And one of the famous quips that a colleague had once was, Your hospital will be completely paperless when my bathroom was completely paperless, which I thought was really brilliant. The, the, The reality is, is that we've been moving from analog to digital, but where is the book that says that digital is somehow intrinsically better than analog? So to the point you were making during your introduction, which I think was spot on, digital is a tool. Digital provides us an easier way to access the data, but being digital isn't the answer. It's what you do with digital. That's what makes or breaks a healthcare system. And what makes you smarter is being able to really leverage that digital technology better than the next fellow down the road.
0: Yeah, I got it. And so, you know, this concept of doing things smarter, what does that look like? So you got the, let's say, the, the infrastructure's there. It's, it's enabling some better things. What's on the radar for a lot of hospital health systems that you speak to and things that they,
1: they want to make smarter? Boy, there's a long list. If you think about communications in healthcare, you call it event-driven communications. Something has happened, an event has taken place, could be a new lab result, could be a change in a patient vitals. It could be, hey, beds aren't getting cleaned in the emergency room and throughput's hurting. Something has occurred to the point where you have to notify one or more members of either your clinical or operational teams. And in healthcare, like in so many other industries, it's how quickly can you parse that into usable, actionable information and actually close the loop. How quickly can you address those problems? So that's really the goal of being able to leverage your digital technologies, break down the silos of the different streams of data and act on it more quickly. As an example, how quickly can you act on a sepsis alert? Minutes are enormously important to the outcomes for the patient. How quickly can you improve throughput to bring more people in 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 the event of a COVID surge, as an example? So all of these are typical examples of hospitals that can work smarter by leveraging their digital technologies better. It's, it's efficiency of time.
0: Yeah, I think about that point around efficiency and, you know, one of those outcomes there that you mentioned around being able to do things faster or, you know, increase the throughput and, and, and speed of, of identifying issues. I know one thing that we've spoken about in terms of the communication tools in the past and also with Vocera too is on the other side these challenges of workforce burnout and the the pressure that's on the healthcare system and this need to continue to do things faster, better and, you know, take on even more on a on a day-to-day. So how do you reconcile these, these points around still doing things faster and better and more efficiently in healthcare whilst at the same time Not putting all that burden on the clinicians as the ones that you, you know just you need to work faster for things to move faster if you know what i mean yeah and it's
1: not just work faster if you think about it every single one of these digital systems that a health system puts in place now has the ability to send out an alarm an alarm is really just a clinical decision support message it's another message it's another interruption and it may have tremendous value but let's say you put in 10 new systems you now have 10 new systems that are sending information And so one of the unintended consequences is that as you start to put smart devices in the hands of your nurses that you were alluding to, if you start sending all this information to them just without any kind of workflow orchestration, you're going to hammer them. You're going to flood them with information. And it may all be excellent information. It may be important information. But the reality is, is that the nurses have to take care of patients physicians yeah. have to take care of patients and you can't keep interrupting them. So I think the models of how you best do this are still evolving, but the data streams aren't going to go away. So you've got to have systems in place that can help sift through the data, make sense of it and help orchestrate those workflows.
0: Yeah, well that's right. I mean we like you said the demand's not going away. All of the challenges that all health systems face across the world in terms of aging population and increasing chronic disease and all of those points that are continue to put the strain on the healthcare system. We've just come and still seen the effects of COVID and we'll, we'll see those surges. So yeah, we can't change that. So it's how we deal with that then and the, the role that technology plays in, um, in assisting. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members, it's literally the heart of everything we do, so consider joining as a THT Plus member, you can join anytime, online, just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT+. And I think about then for hospitals that are trying to respond to this and trying to update their infrastructure to, I guess, become smarter in what they do. You highlighted the point about the workflow being really critical, but what kind of advice can you provide to those hospitals and health systems that are looking to update their infrastructure and become smarter?
1: I think a good model is to take a look at things like rapid response teams, the medical emergency teams, which really was a concept that originated in Australia. If you take a look at that model, you're you're trying to do early detection of the deteriorating patient. A lot of people don't pay attention, though. It's not just about detecting the patient that deteriorates. It's how do you communicate that to people that can take action? And that's often where things break down. Similarly with data, you could have the world's best infrastructure for converting all of your streams of data into information. But if that information is locked in place, if it can't get out, if it can't be moved rapidly, efficiently, if you can't guarantee delivery to the people that are accountable or acting on it, then you're hamstrung. You really can't become smarter. So you have to be able to integrate your communications technologies with your information processing in order to get all this information out so that your team members actually are being kept up to date. One of the things that I always think about is that in order to make proper judgments, you need situational awareness about what's happening. If information is delayed, then the situation you think you're addressing may no longer be the case. As near real time as you can get it, the better, but there's this tug of war because... We could keep sending you information continuously, right? It's sort of like if I if I tried to give you a suggestion every time you used your computer and gave you a helpful hint, right? Yeah, you're laughing; you'd go crazy. But we, yeah, so so we have to be very careful about what we send to the staff members.
0: Although I do miss Clippy, the Microsoft. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you may be Ape the Clippy. only one. <laughs> he was. <laughs> bring him back, I say. This is the point: getting the right information to people, you know, in, in a timely fashion, then. I guess it, it, it doesn't then increase the, you know, expectation then that they will double down and work even faster and longer. If anything, all of the work and stuff that nurses do, clinical staff, doctors do. I know that, and you speak to them regularly, is the, it feels like half the time the work that they're doing isn't, isn't anything to do with the patient. It's finding the right information so they can do something. It feels like unproductive time. So if you can serve up that right information in a timely fashion, then that, that enables them to do more of the caring.
1: I think that if you focus on nursing efficiency, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I think nurses are amazingly efficient at what they do. I think they're topped out. At their efficiency. Somehow we have to relieve their burden. You know, I'm a, I'm a chief medical information officer for a communication company, and I will tell you that it's as much about knowing when not to message somebody, when not to communicate, when not to interrupt. That's as important as knowing when to interrupt because you've got to be very careful. If you have 10 different systems out there, I think there is this feeling that, hey, my system only generates three alarms per day. That's not a lot. Well, that's three more alarms per day on top of the other system, which is making five, and another system that's putting eight, and your oximetry alarms that have a high false positive rate, and your telemetry alarms, and all the rest. It's a finite bandwidth, and all of these interruptions, all of these alarms, all of these messages, all interrupt. And again, they may interrupt for all the best reasons. I think of it as a perfect storm of good intentions. Everything's being sent right to the nurse. So he or she can take action. But the reality is that they're just overwhelmed by this stuff.
0: And so I guess this goes back to the point that you raised around being a clinical person, a physician working alongside the the technical team in in building these solutions, understanding that workflow and doing that co-design. But how do you Let's go a little bit deeper then. How do you decide then what's appropriate to come through as a notification? What's the kind of things that can wait until later? What's the thought process on on what what a nurse needs to know right now?
1: So the first thing is you have to realize that that's a question that needs to be asked. I will tell you that most hospitals don't think to ask that question. And, and that's a, so if you don't ever ask that question, you're not going to get very far down the road. So we always suggest you should have a nursing informaticist who's part of a rollout of a system like this so that they have the trust of the nursing staff who usually are the ones who are your first responders. They're the ones who are getting things sent directly to that they're starting to carry smartphones or other devices. You want to realize that is an important question to ask. So then you have to go to your hospital's alarm committee, if you have one, and start taking a look at things and say, which alarm should go directly to the caregiver, but which shouldn't? So for example, give you a a practical example, Uh, you're a telemetry technician for cardiac telemetry. Which alarms might be sent directly to the nurse? Which alarm should go to the telemetry tech first for verification that it's a true positive? That's a clinical decision. And these are clinical decisions. In some cases, there is literature out there, but in many cases, there's not. I'll give you one example here. Pulse oximetry. Pulse oximetries are notorious for sending out a large volume of non-actionable information, false positives, if you will. What should the alarm limits, try saying that three times fast, <laughs> be on a medical surgical unit as opposed to the intensive care unit? Very different patient populations. The values of pulse oximetry mean very different things. There is literature out there, but not guidance. So hospitals tend to, as an example, they will say, in my ICU, we alarm for less than 92%. Therefore, we're going to use the same thing out on the floor. If you do that, you're going to have so many alarms that are so meaningless that your staff won't have time to do anything else except hear the oximeters go off. When you're putting in a system, I'll give you one, one good thing to, to just almost always do. If you're putting in a system and you're going to send alarms from that system to the nurse Before you start doing that in in real time, turn it on and start measuring how many alarms are going to hit your nurse per hour, that sort of thing. Figure out ahead of time what the volume is going to be because you may need to ratchet that down. That's some great advice. Yeah, because otherwise you turn it on and once the staff goes, oh my goodness, you turn this on, this is horrible, you've poisoned the well and it's very hard to go back and regain trust.
0: That's such a good point. It's like like any implementation of a new system or a change process. Even with the most adaptive and, and supportive of teams, particularly in this current climate of a lot of fatigue and well, we've come off the back of a lot of change, sometimes you only get, you know, one one true shot. Although of course you can always, you know, iterate and that's important to do. But if you go in without that preparation, understanding of what you're asking people to do and what those expectations are that that can be a recipe for disaster you, you gave some great examples of um, things to think about in implementations whether it's involving nurse informaticians or you know the nursing staff in implementing and also thinking about you know what what the implications are but I know there are many hospital and health systems that listen to this podcast thinking about, you know, what will happen when we implement different technologies. What have you seen and what can you recommend for those, anything else that comes to mind when it comes to implementations of technology within healthcare settings, what they need to be thinking about, and perhaps the, the unintended consequences that might come about?
1: So certainly when you're trying to really fully build out, if you will, a smart hospital, yeah, you have to build out your backend IT infrastructure. You, You've got to be able to break down the silos of your various digital streams of information. You've got to figure out for yourself, am I going to use this in some sort of algorithm to detect if a patient's deteriorating or predict? And there's a difference between detecting and predicting. And then you have to think about, how am I going to get this out there to the staff that needs it? And so more and more hospitals are starting to put devices in the hands of their nurses, usually an enterprise provisioned either one of our smart badges uh, hands-free badges or smartphones, and if you're going to use those, then we're going to move the information to those devices. That's a big change for the nurse on the floor if they've never used those before. If the nurses on the floor have never received direct information from these systems, you need to take it slowly. Once you have the technology, it's like, oh, this is amazing. We can we can send this directly immediately to the nurse. You need to give your staff time to adapt, and so it's go slow. It is truly crawl, walk, run. I mean, people, you know, it's a trite saying, but it's reality here. You've got to give your, your people time to adapt because it changes how they how they work. Healthcare workers don't like to change the way they work, and it's not because they're Luddites. It's not because they hate technology. They're used to doing something a certain way because they know it's safe. That's how they've been taught. and Yes, we're trying to break some of those antiquated workflows, but you got to do it carefully. You can't run around like a bull in a china shop and break everything. Your staff will bolt. And, you know, as you pointed out, we're in a period now where we really have to be in tune with our physicians and nurses because of burnout. It's more important than ever. We have, you have to involve your end users. Again, these are all clinical tools. At the end of the day, why do you want to become smarter? You want to improve your patients' outcomes it's a clinical process.
0: Yeah. Building on that a little bit then, and the focus on the patient outcomes. We spoke at some point before this podcast, Ben, about the concept of presence and why that's important. I'm keen to unpack your thoughts a little bit more about that point.
1: Presence is one of those those aspects of building a communication system that can't be underemphasized. And I think of presence in two ways. I think of presence, how do we use it internally? And then what does presence mean externally? And by that, I mean, If we're a system, like what Vosera can do, Vosera can take information from multiple different systems. We can then aggregate that information. We can break down those silos. We have logic behind the scenes. We have rules. So we can turn that into actionable information, but we have to know what to do with it. And the only way we can know what to do with it is to know who's working, what role are they doing, what's their licensure, which patients are they taking care of. We need to know as much about the end users as possible, because we have to figure out where does this go? And if that person doesn't pick up, where does it go next? Because this information has to be delivered within a, usually a short period of time, and we have to guarantee delivery. So we need presence internally so that we can do the correct delivery. Otherwise, we're like a post office with no addresses for anybody. We wouldn't know where anybody lives. We do that by basically taking information from any kind of care team assignment process, whatever the hospitals are using, no matter what their mix is, and we will normalize all that into a standard database. So we know at all times, basically in near real time, exactly who's working, what their roles are, responsibilities, et cetera. That's the first part. The second is if I'm trying to call you, I want to call Pete. I want to know, are you working today? Are you not working today? If you're not working, when are you going to be back? Or if you're working today, what role do you have? Are you on the medical emergency team? Are you on the cardiac cath team? Or maybe you're not, you're on do not disturb, you don't want to be disturbed, for how long? When are you going to be back working? Or has somebody is somebody else covering your responsibilities? How transparently can we display that kind of presence information so that when I'm trying to reach you, it becomes very easy for me to say, you know what? Pete's the wrong guy. Or, hey, Pete's gone for the next 30 minutes, but he'll be back after that. I'll wait. Or this is so crucial, I need to contact somebody else. So there's these two aspects of presence, and and they're really critical.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me in terms of conceptually being able to know all of that information about when this person might be back or what they're doing and who they report to. All of that would have to rely on all that information being somewhere, if you know what I mean. And And if it relies on people updating something else to, you know, make sure it's telling people what they're doing, it doesn't get done because, because you know, healthcare needs to happen right now. So how do you take, like, this existing information so that you can not increase the burden even more to have to feed the beast, so to speak, and have to continue to input more information so that you can try and be more efficient, which kind of defeats the purpose?
1: No, you're correct. And we do need a source of truth or we need multiple sources of truth. We need to know where we can go to get this information. Now, when I was in practice, physician scheduling was done a mix of different ways, and a lot of times it was just either on paper or an Excel spreadsheet. But more and more hospitals are moving to some kind of digital scheduling system for their medical staff. More and more of the electronic health records now have built-in scheduling and staff assignment. Almost every major electronic health record now has staff assignment. The bed the beds, uh, nurse call systems have staff assignment our company, we have staff assignment in ours. So basically at the beginning of every shift, the nurses do staff assignment, which nurses are working today? What's their role? Which patients do they have? But here's the key. You only want them to have to do it once. You only want to do that once. And so that's, again, something that we do well is we don't care where you do it. We don't care if you use our system for that kind of, that kind of staff management and, and care team assignment. We don't care if you do it in Cerner, Epic, or or wherever. We will grab information, and we will bring that and normalize all of that so that we have an up-to-date centralized database of all of that information. It has to be done once. Some hospitals, at the beginning of each shift, the nurse manager or a clerk on the floor does the assignments. Other hospitals, the nurses do it. I will tell you the first time I did this project, which was 10 years ago, our chief nursing officer told me, Ben, if you make my nurses put this assignment information into more than one system, you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> and she had the pocket. That's right. She had the pocketbook. So I <laughs> So I knew.
0: No, it's such such an important point. No, that's we're on the same page there. Hey, thinking about then looking forward then for Vocera, lots happening in the coming months. Tell us a bit more about what we might look forward to seeing from Vocera in the next, you know, 6, 12, 24.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting time. We were acquired by Striker um, in February. It's a remarkable company. The resources are significant. The integration's going well. From our standpoint, there's a number of different areas that we're focused on. So historically, you know, we have produced hands-free and, and nurse communication badges. We've gone from our, our standard badge. We've gone to a smart badge that has a bigger screen with ability to text more easily. And we've now just brought to market a mini badge, a small, if you will, lapel badge that also links to your phone through Bluetooth and can work either tethered or untethered mode. We're going to continue to work on our device integrations with workflows. But more importantly, we're continuing to work on improving the way our systems work with voice. Vocera was known even 15, 20 years ago for the ability to be able to say, hey, Vocera, call Pete. I didn't have to know phone numbers. Or I could say, call third floor head nurse or call ICU pharmacist. All I need to know is either the name or the role, et cetera. So we're moving to a, a less constrained vocabulary, something that is more conversational, more in the way that people are used to using things like the Alexis and Series of the world where you have more free reign because the systems understand intent. They have a little bit more intelligence about what is is it you're trying to say and trying to accomplish. In medicine, there's a lot of different ways to say the same thing. So what's your blood count? What's your CBC? What's your H and H? They're all the exact same thing, but the system doesn't necessarily know that. The semantic knowledge there is, is important. So we are updating significantly our voice front-end interface, uh, which is going to be really important. Another area that we're focusing on is our workflow engine, improving the way that we allow our customers, our partners that that have our systems, and we're all over the world, to be able to make their own new workflows using our system without having to ask us, hey, can you send somebody over to do some programming? We want to make it very easy for a hospital to say, you know what, we have a new alarm that's coming in. We're going to We want it to escalate at 60 seconds. We want to send it here to these group of people. We want to make that as easy as possible. So we have a brand new interface for our rules engine that people are really liking because it makes it much easier. So we're focusing on workflow. Uh, We're focusing on communication technologies, hardware, and we're focusing on integrating uh, more with some of the things that Striker does. Uh, Striker's bed solutions, Striker's OR solutions. So there's... I think last time the the count was something like 25% of our workflow internally, something like 150 people have some sort of R&D responsibility. So we are constantly trying to push the envelope, but do it in a way that's responsible. And basically we're building it out with our customers. It's very much a user-centered design process.
0: They're not insignificant things. And it's great to hear that you know, you're building for the future in response to some of those customer needs. And it's going to be exciting to watch over the The coming months and years. So look, Ben, I'll put the details for Vocera in the show notes of this episode for people to check out. Of course, Vocera being THD Plus members, you've got the presence on the Talking Health Tech website and people can go and see anytime any of the news events and jobs that you're posting on there as well. It's always great to have good representation on the podcast and excited to see what's coming next. Dr. Ben Cantor, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app, or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player, and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player, and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.